This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 20% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME9. This is Ibadi and X, and this is The Candid Frame. Before we start, I want to take the time to welcome the many new listeners that have recently found The Candid Frame. I'm not only glad that you found us, but I'm excited about the community we're slowly building around the show, which you can take part in. So if you haven't already, join the fan pages on Google Plus and Facebook, as well as our Flickr group. You'll find these links on the website and in the show notes. I also want to thank a few people who took the time to donate to the show this month, and please forgive me ahead of time if I mispronounce your name, but they include Kevin Bickburn, Glenn Althor, Brian Walworth, Stefan Burrell, Simon Rodenklau, Roland Ramanan, and Sam McCowie. We appreciate your contributions as they are really helping us to make improvements to the show and our presence online. Today's guests, Mark and Holly Jansen, came together in part as a result of their mutual love for photography. It's a relationship that has nurtured their skills and their enjoyment of making nature and landscape photographs. It's something that they share not only with each other, but with the many people who study with them during their workshops. I've interviewed several husband and wife teams over the years, and it's always interesting to hear how having two dedicated photographers in the family can influence one's development as an artist. Well, thank you for uh, guys for coming up my way for this. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to, uh, to meet you guys, and thanks for reaching out. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, great. Uh, the great response was awesome. Yeah, I like uh, every once in a while I've had the opportunity to interview husband and wife couple, uh, both of who are photographers, because I think uh, that's uh, pretty rare. It's usually one person who's really interested in photography and the other one who sort of tolerates it. <laughs> <laughs> we hear that quite a bit on our workshops. Yeah, I bet, I bet. But as you guys were telling me before we got started recording, you both had an interest in photography before you guys met. So tell me a little bit about, uh, about that. Well, basically, I, I kind of was brought up uh, with a design background. I had a lot of designers and creatives in my family. And I picked up uh, a Pentex uh, MX, or M, you know, the uh, K1000. Uh, when we were kids, we had that. That was kind of the family camera. And I kind of took hold of it and just took some classes in high school and kind of went into that area quite a bit and had a lot of interest in it. And from the design point of view, I had this shadow of a creative a giant in my family my mother constantly talked about. And I kind of felt I needed, I didn't need to, but I felt this might be a direction for me uh, in some way. And, and that's kind of where I came into it, photography. Because photography was always there, but I had to put design and photography together, and I couldn't really separate the two. Either either was either drawing or using the camera. But I always enjoyed the camera, so that's how I kind of... Did you look at design as a sort of more practical thing? Exactly. Really kind of- exactly. You know, I had this thing where my uh, my mother would bring home these uh, posters of what my uncle did. And um, 
and say, look, what, you know, my, my, hint, my brother. Hint, hint, Yeah, hint, hint, hint. <laughs> you know, sort of a lot of that pressure there. And um, so I ended up, you know, I went to went to Park College and took some classes on design. And um, But I there was also a photography component, and I ended up spending more room in the dark room than the illustration room. So <laughs> Yeah, that gets you hooked real easy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how about you? Um, my dad probably put a camera in my hands when I was about five or six years old. I have a camera, you know, standing over, I don't know where I was, in Hawaii or someplace, you know, with my camera. But also, uh, they took workshops from Ansel Adams in Yosemite when I was quite young. So it was all about um, our conversations over the dinner table were all about photography and how did you take that picture and you didn't move that rock or that leaf, did you? And um, so we had a lot going on about photography and my my dad was a professor geography professor and we would travel across the country and every 10 miles he would stop and take a picture and so of course I would get out and take a picture too this is what you did right so um so I'd spent a lot of time doing that with photography and then I got into design through um, I had an interior design business for 20 years so we did um architectural photography as well so how'd you guys get together well it was at a, a trade show I guess and um I was, you know, doing the photography thing and trying to, you know, sell my business. And then Holly came up to me and we started talking. And And I think a lot of our interest together was our conversations led to the outdoors quite a bit because I was doing a lot of bicycling and hiking. And then Holly had a lot of outdoors interests and in outdoors. So um, I think our first date was on a mountain bike. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, we had some trials and tribulations, and we, of course, we had our cameras with us, and we ended up talking about photography quite a bit and in all its aspects. And I, and I think at that point, there was this transition. There was digital was kind of there, but we were still shooting the film thing. And um, we always thought it would be great to have a smaller camera with us. So I think we had a small Olympus camera, and we had that always in our backpacks. And we were always yearning for something better, and uh, we ended up, uh, you know, that's kind of how we got together, I guess. When you guys were were shooting, was it just primarily at that point just for fun, or were you pretty serious about your your photography? At at that point, it was more for fun, and then... um then I got the idea to start developing note cards, you know, from our backpacking trips and that sort of thing. And so I did photographic note cards for a while, and then we started doing the art shows. And when you first, you know, get into the art show market, you know, you're going to need to print up 50 pieces and 50 frames. And so all of a sudden we had all this product and all this um, all the all these product all this product to sell, and um, so we started doing the art shows. But then I was fortunate to um, get a call like I don't know a couple weeks after I had printed up these fifty prints from a um, from a from a guy that had a building, a little building, wanted us to go in and take a look and because he saw our, our art, and I, oh I you know I have a new office and come on in and take a look at it. Well, I go to the building and it's one hundred and ten thousand square feet, so I had to put my interior design hat on and. Oh, okay. We actually did the whole building. It took about two years to do it, but we thought, huh, okay, now we're in business. It was a frightening venture because I remember getting a phone call from Holly, and he goes, well, this guy's got an office he wants done, and she, of course, says 110,000 square feet, and I'm going, what are you kidding? And, and I, had a lot, I had a lot of imagery on film and slides yeah. and things, and it turns out he wanted uh, territory uh, photographs of 
territorial photographs of uh, you know California, and rather than well, it was a company that actually did uh, a food service company. Um, they're pretty well known out in California, um, Cisco, and they wanted to us to provide them with uh, imagery and and I I kind of freaked because <laughs> when she started throwing these numbers on me yeah. we're talking hundreds and hundreds of images of, that they wanted and it and it uh, and we were right then we had just started we were shooting Olympus cameras the the I think the E1 we started shooting Olympus and um so I we went on a uh, a two-year soldier to create images of these places in addition to what we had and um, close to 375 in images later we finished a, a building and um, it kind of really put us on a map as far as our business and we kind of grew on that. So, so when you got that gig all of a sudden you had to go out and produce a lot more pictures? Yeah we had to produce a lot. <laughs> okay. And, um, and so that was the perfect marriage of the interior design and the photography business. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so, luckily Holly is great with the math and the square footage and what we need. And, and so we just kind of put our heads together and move forward through it. The interior design is something you had some experience with, but in terms of the photography and the amount of time you had to spend making pictures, making prints, all that stuff was kind of new to you. So when it came to sort of figuring out cost in terms of time, in terms of all that stuff, and figuring that in, how did you figure that out? Because that, for me, would probably be a little more intimidating than the idea of going out and having to make more pictures. I was able to, to take my skills from the interior design business and just move it over. So if I was doing, you know, 100 chairs, it would be, okay, it would cost this much. Well, if I do 100 prints, it's going to cost this much. So in interior design, you're doing a chair, you take the chair and the fabric and the, um, you know, the finishes. And well, so with the photography, I did the same thing. Well, I've got the image, I've got the frame, I've got the mats. So I had those skills to pull oh, it all okay. together and then multiply it by 350 and boom, we're done. So I was able to, to pull that all together. It's two years. So that was pretty much like a two-year intensive mm -hmm. in terms of your photographic pretty, skills. So, pretty much. Pretty so tell much. me about that in terms of not only what you felt you learned, but how did it help to have someone there with you who had the same goal in mind in terms of the kinds of photographs you had to produce, but also in terms of each of you brought, brought your different strengths or weaknesses in terms of your eye, in terms of your technique, in terms of your knowledge. So how did all that um, gel for you in that two-year period? We went and when we went to, uh, went to look at the job, and we tried we had to approach it from a uh, find out what they were looking for looking for in in the rooms and the areas, and um, and the way we approached it is we actually talked to some of the people that work there and found out what uh, you know, what what, in, what environments they enjoyed most, mm -hmm. and um, some people love seascapes, some people love mountainscapes, and we kind of catered to that a little bit and. And then, of course, there's certain parts of certain styles that we both have that are different. You know, um, I'm more, my photography is more texture orientated and Holly's is a little bit more. Um, I'd say it's probably a little softer if you're if you're taking if he's focusing on rocks and, and texture. Mm -hmm. I'm more into the um, greenery and flowers and that sort of thing in yeah. the landscapes. Yeah. So it kind of worked. You know, when working with the, we treated like the employees in the buildings as separate clients. You know, so they would have a. Uh, we kind of we kind of quoted this thing. Kind of, they were the pictures became, um, you know, mirrors, uh, windows to the outside world. 
Okay. Because there's a lot of these uh, the people are stuck in booths. Um, the big rooms uh, had windows. You know, the CEO windows had, uh, rooms had windows, and the workers basically just had walls. So um, it kind of became this transformative uh, environment for the workers as the pictures came in. Um, but yeah, so I guess. <laughs> so other than the initial shock of how big this job was going to be, what was what was for each of you? What was the the bigger challenge? The bigger challenge was uh, producing the imagery, and at this time, a lot of them were uh, you know profiling for your digital cameras was just kind of just coming out, you know, because mm -hmm. it was crazy back then. There was there was only a few devices that you could actually calibrate your your monitors with, and you had to work with a printer that you could actually uh, you know reproduce the images that were what you sent them, you know, because a lot of times you look on, the, you know, the stuff you're on your computer is going to look different from when the printer prints it out. So just a lot of, early on, it was kind of a little bit of a stress on that to get the the image you uh, took um, to reproduce properly. So we, we were uh, really into profiling the monitors and making sure everything was, uh, you know, dead on there. And that was, that was a big challenge for us. But that, back then it was, uh, it was new and we were printing on, I just started printing on canvas before really anyone was really doing it. And there wasn't really a lot of knowledge about doing that. And, um, and that, that was kind of a challenge because we did a few canvas, early canvas images that were, um, uh, in the, the CEO offices, but most of them were printed on film. But, uh, yeah, so it was a lot, a lot of challenge, but we, we kind of rolled through it, you know, and worked it all out and, you know. But we didn't take too much time. I mean, we I learned the profiling pretty quickly. I didn't want to be printing out, you know, 10, 10 pieces for one, each image. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to print it once and hang it once, and we were done. So, you know, we, we got through that, that tech, technical, technological part of it pretty quickly. Tell yeah. me about some of the destinations that you, you end up going to. Because, you know, for me, I think some of the best photography that I, I've seen on locations is by people who really know the, the, the place. They go there over and over and over again. So some people may take a trip to Yosemite and only take it during that one week where the weather and the lighting is not particularly ideal, but you have other people right. who go there over and over again and get, get the opportunity for that great light and for all those things to converge beautifully. So for you guys, you are under pressure to produce images. So, how feasible was it to go to locations multiple times? Did you guys go only once? Uh, had you guys gone to some of these destinations before? Were they familiar to you? What, what were some of the things involved uh, well, with some, respect to that? Some of the locations we had been to, um, a lot more California locations. Um, and, so, and, and from our backpacking and hiking, we were knowledgeable of that. Um, so we just knew when to be at the right place at the right time. And just knowing that you know, the light's going to be a certain way at a certain time. Yeah, and that's kind of a lot of it. We we have a lot. We had a lot of firsthand knowledge because we'd already been to a lot of these places. But then again, you'd have people that would say, "Okay, um, there's a certain beach that I like, or a certain place in the San Andreas Valley that I like." And um, I we we get up early in the morning, oh dark thirty, and head out and just try to create, you know. And I always find myself, I guess both of us, I like this. Uh, if we immerse ourselves in a completely um, foreign environment, um, in a way. If it's a landscape, it's different from like an urban situation. But sometimes if you're not familiar with an area, you're a little bit more sensitive to it where you're not, your brain doesn't become kind of numb to it. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, your eyes open up, they're a little bit more open to seeing things. And if you know how to create the compositions properly, 
um, and then your basics, you can, you know, it, it helps quite a bit. I mean, does that make any no, sense? No, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Let me try to stay away from the iconic shots, too. Yeah. You know, the ones that have been re- reproduced a hundred times. You know, we're not, we're not doing that, of course. Yeah. <clears throat> but that, that, for me, has always been sort of the hard part about that. I mean, you go to certain, like Big Sur, for example... You know, that vista is just beautiful. I've seen it photographed a lot of times. That If I were to go there, my first instinct would be tapping into that memory bank of pictures that have been made there before. Because even though I've been shooting for a long time, it's, it's unfamiliar territory for me. So mm-hmm. it's easy to fall back on stuff that's sort of safe. So how do you guys sort of push beyond that to go away, to not just produce another copy of what's been made before? How are you guys sort of... Uh, utilizing your, your, the way you see and the way you shoot to make sure that you're making something that's unique to you? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, we have that conversation quite a bit, um, and we do go to that region quite a bit. Um, we always try to, uh, you know, shoot, uh, be in a location when the light's just right, you know, in the early morning or the late afternoon. Big Sur would be late in the afternoon. And, and then in the early morning, you'll get some nice effects. And we tend to get out and get out of the car and kind of hike around a little bit and just kind of look for different spots. And the draw to those iconic uh, places is really strong. And then you'll have people, you know, um, they'll will join us on a workshop and they'll go, you know, we know, okay, I know we'll take them to this spot. They're going to want to see that particular waterfall because they've seen it a thousand times. But then we try to draw them to like maybe a quarter mile up the road where they have to hike down the embankment a little bit or get near a cliff or an edge where there's a hidden um, an arch or a hidden rock formation or sea stack that you don't normally see. And a lot of this comes from our um, our hiking background because we know if you know we're used to venturing out and getting off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. And when you get off the beaten path, you're going to find you're going to find different things. And there's so much up there that people don't see. Even, um, you know, comes to mind when we were in Big Sur when we took a workshop group uh, there and it was pouring rain all weekend. And so weather is going to affect it considerably. Um, when we were at McWay Falls, for example, it was completely socked in and all of a sudden, you know, the fog parts and you can just barely see the falls in the fog. So that kind of shot, yes, McWay Falls is an iconic shot, but not in that kind of a situation where maybe it's framed by the trees or it's got the fog coming in and out. Um, I think weather is going to take, makes a big difference. Every, every time we go to these places, it's different because of the weather. Yeah, the weather is uh, uh, such a factor. And also, uh, get down on the ground, change your perspective. You know, we saw everyone's a habit, you know, they, they put their tripods up, they extend them fully and they're taking the the standard shot, you know, and I'm, I'm, and my imagery, my personal imagery is very forced perspective. You know, I, I like to bring a lot of things in the foreground and I always say people on the workshops, if your knees aren't hurting, you're not doing the job, you know, you're not going to get the shot. You're not going to get something unique. And, and to get something unique, you really have to... It's a little bit of physicality in landscape photography and uh, to make it happen. You know, for me, personally, it's the way I, I see things. I just I try to work an image completely. Yeah, one of my friends, Don Gale, when he would go out and I would see him work, he would use these really wide-angle lenses. He'd get really low to the ground, and he would make shots, and I would just go, wow. And... I do a lot of street photography, so I'm not usually getting getting down to the sidewalk in order to make my shots. But it made made me realize that some of the best shots, like I think uh, David Munch, um, who was probably sort of one of the greatest photographers when it came to that, um, mm-hmm. in terms of 
using that foreground element to help build the composition uh, was really sort of key and influenced a lot of lot of photographers and I see you speaking of that. Yeah, you, you can just pull in so many more elements when you approach an image that way or a, a scene. It's almost like you're presented with a canvas and you just have to draw your elements in there and just search your elements out and just take your time and create. And also with a tripod in particular, I mean, you've probably heard this before, it's, it, it slows you down. You're spending your time, you're setting it up, you're, you're, and you're thinking about the shot. And I think with the digital age, we're very, you, you know, I hate to use these phrases, but, you know, spray and pray, mm -hmm. you know, and um, and I find myself, I find I'm taking fewer pictures, fewer exposures than ever and spending more time just working out the image before I release the shutter. And that's a big part of it, though, just creating, you know, the image, the camps, putting the canvas together. Yeah, I look at when I look at a lot of landscape photographs it's really interesting to see really good work i mean stuff that's it's beautifully lit great time of day good foreground and background but it's even though i'm seeing all this great imagery i'm still not always experiencing that wow factor you know where all of a sudden there's just something there that makes this shot even of a location that you've seen before look absolutely stunning it makes it look completely brand new and i think that's one of the challenges once you get really good at being a photographer where you could really pull off a really good image pretty easily if all the elements are there but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can have that extra little mm -hmm. bit of something so for you guys when you when you have all those elements that seem to be gelling together, what are some of the things that you're looking for that you feel can really take the shot and elevate it to an even higher level? Um, when you said that, it comes to mind of one time we were in the Eastern Sierras and um, we were up by the uh, by Mount Whitney, up at the Whitney portal, and it was overcast and we climbed up the edge of the hillside and we sat there. It was probably, I don't know, six o'clock in the morning and we sat there for two hours waiting for this something to happen, waiting for the sun to rise, waiting for the fog to lift. You know, there's got to be something going on here. And, you know, we're just about ready to pack up our stuff. It was probably about 8.30. And all of a sudden, literally, the clouds parted and shot a ray of light right down onto Mount Whitney. And that's the kind of thing that we look for. We look for unusual lighting situations. We look for something that's just not going to happen. I mean, I have never seen, it almost looks like, we, we joke about it, it almost looks like, you know, we sent the Boy Scouts up there with flashlights <laughs> to highlight Mount Whitney. And you just don't see that sort of thing. So we wait around a lot of, a long time and wait for the light and wait for unusual lighting situations. We don't just, you know, drive by in our car and go, okay, click, okay, we're moving on. We, we take some time to really, to really find that. That's really true. And I like to say it's the best tool in your camera bag is patience and nobody ever uses it, <laughs> you know, and they come to a location and they're waiting for that moment. And, and that situation was really unusual because, uh, we had actually were we were shooting in the Eastern Sierras. We were at the bristle cones, like Holly was saying. But we were hanging out for I think it was longer than two hours. It was like we started at four thirty, and the light came through at like seven thirty for five minutes. And we just happened that we were just something's going to happen. And we were Holly was shooting one location, so I was shooting another, and we we're just yelling back and forth, going, "Can we? Should we wait? Oh, let's wait a little longer. Let's wait a little longer." And that's the most difficult thing as a landscape yeah. photographer is patience. But that's, I think it's something that 
that level of patience is something that develops a little later on in your life as a photographer. I think because I see, I think probably the the biggest criticism that I have of people when I'm trying to teach them is slow down. Just mm-hmm. slow down. Don't be in such a rush because everyone's like taking a picture and rushing off somewhere as if the next 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 best picture is around the corner. You know, when it actually may be the very thing that they're shooting, but they haven't exhausted all the possibilities yet. With with nature photography, I think that 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 idea of sticking around is really essential. Like you said, it's unpredictable what can happen, and there's a risk that you may not get the photograph. But sometimes it's it's a risk that you have to be willing to take, and you have to be willing to to know that that day may be a bust, but it may prove to be the very day that you needed to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing that just comes to mind is. Um, you know, say Mark and I are standing next to each other, and we maybe have different cameras, we have different lenses on it, and we're going to get a completely different shot, even though we have our, we're standing right next to each other. When we first started shooting together, it was like, well, no, you, don't you shoot there. Why don't you go over there? I've got this spot. <laughs> and we yeah. found that we would come up with completely different images standing right next to each other. So um, I think that's something to, to consider, too, is um, it's, you know, the eye of the photographer can be completely different. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace. Now, if you've ever had a website, you know that one of the challenges of having one is maintaining it. As you create new photographs or have additional materials you want to include on the site, you don't want to have to wait for your web designer to get the changes done. Nor do you want to spend hours trying to input code language that you don't completely understand yourself. With Squarespace, changes are made in minutes, all by using a simple drag-and-drop interface which automatically produces versions of your site that will look great on a computer screen, tablet, or a smartphone. But you can find out for yourself how easy it is by just taking advantage of this free 14-day trial. No credit card is required. Just start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDONFRAME9 in these last few days of September to receive a 20% discount and also show your support for the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. So how does it work when you guys are someplace and one of you wants to go over there and you're, you're the other one's thinking, no, I think it's better over here. I mean, well, with a non-photographer, it's like usually the photographer loses. But with, when it comes to the both of you being out there and you guys are all being attracted to different things, how does that work? Well, normally um, if a situation develops uh, with the weather and the lighting um, and we're keen, we, we're, we know something's going to happen spectacular and... Um, and we're going to all approach. We're approaching it differently. We'll be pretty close to one another, or we'll be within a, a certain distance. And we usually will bring two-way radios and things. And uh, we understand that need to create and do our thing separate, but together. Mm-hmm. And it usually works out something. That's usually how it'll work out in a situation like that. And um, yeah. So how's it work in terms of you guys being each other's critic? In terms of looking at the work after it's done and going, okay, what did you think? Or, well, Holly is an amazing photographer, and <laughs> everything she takes is awesome. So, good <laughs> <laughs> <The> answer, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we're pretty constructive on our criticism. We don't really, uh, you know, I, I yeah, usually. I mean, how does that work? That's yeah. That's that's, that's a, a that's tough a, question. It is a um, good question. 
because we do we do have different styles yeah and um i think most of our our critique is more uh on the um not necessarily composition more of the technique or how do you like this um you know, does it need a little bit more sharpening or what do you think about the color here? That sort of thing. Um, we try to be very re- respectful of each other's composition and each other's art. We can't really step over that line, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It usually comes to the, the yeah, exactly. You're exactly correct. Yeah, it comes to how uh, the colors are and you know, the sharpness and what's in focus properly. And, and uh, yeah. Does it happen much that you pick up something in, in their work that, the other wasn't realizing that they were that they were uh, touching on or, or, or focusing on or oh yeah um holly will see something that i completely miss and i'll see uh, vice versa you know and and we find that too with our with our students um you know i i kind of feel myself to be I, i'm always seeing compositions if i'm not even if i'm not holding a camera i'm always seeing a composition and so i'm assuming that other people will have that same problem and then you know i have to remember that people are coming to us because they want to learn about seeing they want to learn about photography and so i have to you know remember that 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 whole composition thing doesn't come naturally to people yeah and i think coming from a design background in the holly interior design and always seeing these things where we just look and we see compositions all the time. So much of what we teach is teaching people how to see. And I think that's why when we do our, you know, we, these little iPhone devices and droids are great, great ways to help people see. Um, and that's what we teach people how to, you know, you know, we talk about what they're looking at and well, the rule of thirds and keep it pretty basic. And once we get people through that part of it and then they and you see them getting it and once they get it, their eyes open up and I'm feeling good and Holly's feeling good. We're actually, OK, we're getting a little progress here. And then let's bring the camera out and let's start capturing that. You so know? Tell me a little more about how you use the, the, the phone, the camera on the phone to help teach composition. How is that? helpful is beyond simply just showing someone what you're seeing through your own camera. Well, you know, these, these phones have these little rule of thirds, uh, uh, rule of thirds grids that pop up and immediately we'll click that on and we'll show people. Okay. And we'll break, break it up in using the rule of thirds grid and you can easily hold the phone and move it about and the field of vision through this. I think, I don't know. I don't know what the millimeter is. I think it's like, I don't know what the, 38, yeah, 36, something like that. And um, then you can move it up or move it down and just move it all around. And you can, you can get a quick shot really quick. And, um, and then, you know, bring the DSLR out and shoot with that once you get a composition. You know. the, the thing with the iPhone is that it brings people into photography who may be afraid of a 35-millimeter camera. So we, we teach, um, with the iPhone classes, we teach, um, you know, basic composition. There's a little bit of an exposure, how that works. One of the apps has, has ability to change exposures on it. So they get kind of a basic idea of how, how photography works. And we've had people, actually, who have gone from the, from the iPhone into a bigger camera because they've thought, oh, you know, I kind of like that. This. You know, well, can I blow this up if, you know, it's put this of, on my wall? And we yeah. say, no, you know, this is really just for digital use. If you want something better, let's let's go into a bigger camera. And they're, okay, you know, so it's 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 a beginning um, tool. It's, a, it's also can be an advanced tool, too. I mean, we use it all yeah. the time. But yeah, yeah, it's it's almost like a gateway thing for people. Um, 
because these days everybody's a photographer uh, that has a phone and and a lot of times uh, it kind of kindles a creative spirit in people and i i think everybody's creative i mean people kind of differ with me but i think every i think it's it's part of our nature as human beings to uh um, uh, to uh, you know, reflect our environment somehow um, in, a, in either a drawing, a painting, or something. And these phones are uh, kindling something in people's creativity. And uh, and some will take it to the next level. They'll move on to a more serious camera, or they'll get into other forms of photography. They'll either move into uh, you know either landscapes or portraits. But there's something, and that's what's great about photography now. It's the world, and it changes monthly. I'm sure you know. Uh, there's so so many more people creating now. So we're getting into the fall, fall season now. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people take their vacations during the summer, but the fall can be a real interesting time uh, to photograph, particularly in this part of the country. So what what are some of the destinations that you think are, that if people would ask you, you know, I want to come out to California to the, you know, for the fall at some point, and I want to photograph. So, what would be some of the destinations you guys would recommend and why? Um, I would say uh, the Eastern Sierras. Um, that's a place we like taking people, and it's not so much the light changes, the angle of the sun changes, and the shadows are different. Then um, you get some nice fall foliage colors, um, but it's not so much. It's part of it's about the fall foliage, but the light is different there in the fall. And it just falls a certain way, and things are more contrasty. And 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 the, uh, the um, Central, Coast, Central Coast, California, yeah. the Big Sur. Um, you know, the skies are so beautiful in the fall too. The sunsets. So we get the clouds and the the beautiful sunsets. Say October, November, we start to really. We call it November sky, um, yeah. especially even down here in Southern California, um, Ventura County area. There's amazing sunsets. So you don't really have to, for us, we, we live in Southern California. We don't have to go very far to, to, to experience that. Yeah. So it's interesting that, you know, it's always great when you have more than one photographer to teach a workshop because you get two different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So tell me about what the teaching dynamic is between the, the uh-huh. two of you. Well, the way it works usually, um, we'll um, for the first part of a workshop, let's say we'll we'll split people up a little bit, and we'll ask for people. Uh, you'll have more advanced people, people that don't have a lot of um, you know, that just don't have a lot of knowledge, or they're just getting into it. Um, and I'll work with one section, and I'll work with another, and then halfway through the workshop, we'll flip around. And they'll get a different way approach on a certain angle and a certain perspective. Because the way I teach is completely, not completely different, but it's different from Holly's. You know, I see differently than Holly does. And it gives them more of a whole kind of a rounded um, feel. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, for example, I mean, uh, I, I really get stuck on using tripods and live view. And, you know, I really teach that pretty um, consistently where Mark is, he uses the... Um, he does more hand handheld shooting, um, so it's so we get two different perspectives too, which is good. And if um, and then, like I said, we switch, so so people really get a um, they get a lot of instruction. Um, we've been in in workshops where there's been you know large crowds of people, and you hardly ever see the instructors. So we that's that's where we're coming from is that we really want to have people to have an experience where they are getting instruction and they are learning, and they're not just kind of following around a group of thirty people. 
Yeah, that's that's kind of why we even started doing the workshops years ago because we did take a lot of workshops, um, and you never see the instructor, or you know, they're just too big. And I mean, I don't really know how people do that because it must be pretty exhausting. Uh, but we keep our group small. You know, sometimes they only go to like you know eight people. You know. And sometimes four to eight people, we keep it small and personal and try to work with everybody and find out what they're looking for. Um, that's kind of what we like to operate. Well, you guys have had both experiences. You've had the experience of being a workshop participant and, and now being the instructors. And there is no shortage of people out there, you know, uh, advertising that they're great photographers and, and workshop leaders. So when people are looking, particularly for their first experience, um, how, what do you think people should look at to help them choose what could be the best experience possible? Because you see the destination and you see this name photographer, but that, that alone is probably not the only information you need to depend on to make a good choice. Yeah, just, just to make sure that they're getting um, what they need. You know, a lot of people will show up on a workshop and they'll dump, you know, Fifteen twenty thousand dollars worth of equipment they just bought down, and they go make me Ansel Adams, you know. Um, and um, and being in this business, uh, you know, you need to know what all those buttons do on various cameras, and you can't just you can't just expect people to know what an f-stop is. And people, you know, uh, people are funny; they don't want to they don't want to appear that they don't know a lot, you know, they don't, they have a lot of pride, you know, and that's kind of a normal thing. And so we just keep it simple and find out, okay, now do you need to know how to operate your camera or do you want to take a photograph? Let's, let's work with your camera a little bit. Let's find out and let's see what it does. And then we'll, um, then we'll move you into that area of, of, uh, creating more with it. And um, I guess that's, does that answer your question? I don't know. Um, I think the size of the workshops makes a difference. I yeah. think they need to look into, you know, what are the maximum sizes of the workshops. Um, also, uh, there was something else I was going to say, and I can't remember. Yeah. Um, uh, that's going to make a big difference. Um, oh, also portfolio. Mm-hmm. You know, take mm-hmm. a look at take take a look at the portfolio of the photographer that you're going to be working with. Look, take a look at the destination where you're going to be going, and does their portfolio reflect that destination? Not necessarily, you know, where exactly you're going to be going, but that type of photography or that type of photography that you're interested in. And, and you know, and from my recent experience, I think it's it's good to to know what it is that you want to learn. I mean, it's, it's one thing to go in there and feel like you want to learn the breadth of photography in two days. It's, it's just not going to happen. But having, having a clear understanding of what you want and probably talking to the workshop leader ahead of time and saying, this is something I would like to learn and expressing that kind of helps establish that line of communication even before you've seen the first picture or hit the first destination. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of correspondence with clients before they come on. And I'll, I'll send out a little sheet uh, with uh, equipment that I suggest that they bring. And if you have any questions, and um, and usually they'll we'll get a little response going back and forth, a correspondence going back and forth, discussing uh, and what what they expect out of the workshop. You know, um, yeah. So that's that's really a, a good way to approach it, and that's the way we do it. I mean, that's why I've been doing it. 
Um, in the beginning of the workshop, too, we have them bring um, a few of their best pictures mm -hmm. so we can take a look at their, um, you know, their portfolio so that we can make suggestions in the very beginning of the workshop and they can set an intention for their, for their workshop. You know, maybe their intention would be to, um, learn how to get shots that they want to put, put into black and white or maybe they want to learn about panorama shots or whatever particular they want to learn beyond the you know the whole scope of photography world yeah. um so yeah. i think by them bringing bringing samples of their work in the very beginning it helps us to see where they're starting from and also helps them set an intention for what they want to do with the workshop yeah your point about the uh, sort of just checking the ego at the door is, is yeah is, is is important but i can understand if it's someone who's not in it very inexperienced that they feel very vulnerable because the photography feels like it's such a personal part of themselves. So how do you help people sort of allow themselves to admit that they don't know everything, to be open to constructive criticism so that they can, because if you're, if you're hampered by that, it really it helps to limit what you can learn because you've got all this baggage. So how right. do, what do you guys do um, both individually or as a, as a couple to help people get past that and to have fun and to experiment and to embrace failure and all that. Yeah. Well, I think like I was saying earlier during, um, well, we do this hot air ballooning workshop every year in Santa Paula and, uh, we, we broke the group up into two sections. Okay. And by the kind of equipment people are hauling around, um, you can kind of tell where they're coming from a little bit, you know, and then some people have the flimsy tripods, the flippy floppies, you know, and then you have people that have the, the full on carbon fiber. They got the, uh, the, 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 the night, the full on Nikon D4 and I'm going, okay, this is a serious camera. This is, this must be a serious photographer here. And, um, we did, we, uh, but I dressed them. I say, okay, like, uh, I say to him, let's, this, let's discuss uh, what we're going to do here today, and I'm not going to break anyone up into just looking at your equipment here. I see some of you are more advanced, some of you are more basic, but uh, if you need more uh, in, intuitive, uh, no, intuitive, more instructional uh, information on your camera, um, we can help you there. Um, and then, of course, the more advanced people, some of them will be quiet and they won't say much. And And I'm wondering, sometimes I wonder, are they... Do they want to be put on the shot or do they want to learn about composition? It's sometimes it's difficult. You know, that's, I, that's, I, a, that's, I, that's a good point because I, I've seen that myself that the people who have like more equipment or seem to have more experience are the ones that say less. Mm -hmm. They say less. Yeah. And you're, and you're wondering, are you there? If you're an iconic spot, are they, are they want to be, do they want to be put on the iconic spot to let alone to create? Okay. And some people do. And, and then I find the people with, uh, less knowledge are a little bit more eager to ask more questions and not feel silly about it. Um, it's a quandary actually. I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's a hard question. Yeah. It's, you know, it's definitely sometimes you have people who are a little bit shy and they don't want to ask questions and then somehow, you know, you feel like, well, maybe they're not getting what they need out of the workshop because they're not asking us questions. But if they don't ask us questions then we don't know, so, or they'll yes. wander off somewhere. Yeah. They'll wander off and they're going, okay. And then I'll go up to them. Are you getting what you need? Are you getting, I say that all the time. Are you getting what you need? You know, and some will say yes. And, you know, and, you know, it just depends. But I um, think somehow, sometimes we get around that too is by setting an assignment. 
Okay, so here we are at this particular spot, and I want you to do, um, you know, depth of narrow depth of field, or um, have, you know, let's focus on just this this particular image and get this particular subject and get your best um, your best shot from this particular subject. So I think rather than setting them free and just letting them roam around, maybe we, can, we set up an assignment so then they come back with something. That's a good point because I know mm-hmm. in, my, in my Chasing the Light workshop, my first exercise after I do my initial spiel is I have them go out and shoot for 15 minutes and I give them certain things to look for like light or shadow or color uh, and they're limited to seven pictures. Mm. Oh. That's not good. not twelve pictures and edit it down to seven. You can only make seven photographs in sequence, mm-hmm. you, and you cannot chimp. So I have them disable the playback, and I find that that levels the playing field mm-hmm. because well, there it's more about seeing. It's not so much what kind of camera you have. It's not so much about the settings. It's all about how you how you see, and and I find that that when people see that. Even people who are inexperienced made some really good pictures. That that whole hierarchy of uh, uh, oh, I own this D four, and you only have this, you know, this little, mm-hmm. you know, this, this little point, point and shoot camera or whatever that is. When people started realizing that they're for, there for the same reason, and that their creativity um, can be explored, and they can all grow similarly, it. it it takes away a lot of that that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you were it's funny you said that because we do that in the first part of our iPhoneography workshop. It's four pictures, and we have them wander like a pier, you know, and using the rule of thirds, take four pictures, come back, and once they we see where they're coming from, um, then it helps a lot. And the ones that seem to need that, we keep working with them until we get moving along, yeah. and. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. So, for my ask you my last question, um, I like asking this of couples. Some variation of this question: When you look at the other person's work, what do you feel like you've learned the most that's helped influence your your own photography? Well, I think when I see Holly's work, I think of a uh, softness and sort of an etherealness to her work, and it's a, a feminine feel um and just a softness when i see your work you know that's that i that my stuff is a little edgier more contrasty more i don't know it's just more of a i make i I think i make a stronger statement with my stuff that way but, but through contrast but that's what i see in holly's work which is wonderful it's and has the way she sees or shoots influenced you in any way in terms of how you see or shoot I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, I would say yes. Yeah, yeah I, I would say, yeah, just to the opposite. I, I noticed that he has the real strong textures in it. Um, he will, you know, take a big boulder and make that the big, the, the main subject of a, of a photograph or where I, that I'm much more, like I said, much more into the softer part of photography. But it has taught me to, um, to look at those items and to to take maybe a different perspective too, because he at the same time with the with the harsher textures he'll maybe take a, a different perspective, you know, be way low on the ground or um, a different perspective than I would take. So for sure, we do learn from each other. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is: I ask them to recommend another photographer 
for our listeners to discover and explore, and it can be anyone. Someone, someone you've long admired or someone, you, someone you've recently discovered. So we'll start <laughs> off with you. Who would that one photographer be and well, why? Well, I would say um, Galen Rall was a photographer that really uh, influenced the way I uh, compose. You know, I, from the early times when I looked at a lot of his stuff, I really, I love the, the perspective and it's so, the way he approached nature. Um, you know, he he embraced it and ran into it and created and just did some amazing uh, forced perspectives that I just really influenced the way uh, I compose my images. I think that's a lot of my, that's, I, I would say Galen Rawl, explore his stuff. It, it's just amazing. And uh, we just did a, uh, a, a meeting on this one photographer. They just found all of her work. Who was it? A street photographer. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about her the other day. Well, Vivian they, Meyer. Vivian, Vivian Meyer. Meyer. They yeah. found this amazing body of work of this woman who was not a professional photographer. And we actually did a whole meeting up, a, a meetup on her whole street photography. And um, it was just amazing. And because and, we'll, we'll do meetups on, on different types of photography. And so this was our, our, our street photography meetup. Yeah. And that was incredible to see the, her body of work. And there's um, another thing, a, a tip, a photography tip, is if you're shooting, let's say you're a street photographer, and this is what you're, you're solely do, um, and this is what your passion is, I strongly suggest people go and do something completely opposite. Go shoot landscapes for a week, because what it will do, it will improve your street photography. I don't know. And um, this weekend, I, we were up in San Francisco, and I'm not a street photographer, and I said, I'm going to shoot street. And... I, I, I was amazed, and I, I, because I, I, I'm, it's a whole new environment for me, and um, I shot it, and I'm, I think it will improve my landscape photography. Just try to break out of the mold, and just try to break out of your mold for a little bit, and I think it'll just improve you all around photographically. Absolutely, right? completely, completely agree. Yeah. So, where can people go to find out more about uh, what you guys do? Well, you can go to um, JansenPhotoExpeditions.com. Um, that'll instruct all, all our workshops are listed there and um, we have them going out quite frequently uh, iPhoneography and also our smartphone also and um, regular DSLR workshops so that's www.jansenphotoexpeditions.com uh, uh, okay. well thanks guys it was a pleasure to talk to you thank awesome. you thank you Thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you're hearing, you can support this show in a variety of ways. You can donate any amount using PayPal. A link can be found on the Candid Frame website. Also, if you click on our affiliate links and make purchases through Amazon, B&H, or Adorama, you can also help us to continue to produce the best interview show on photography. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music is available through incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.